we're live right now. So, so how's retirement? Retirement's outstanding. Uh, you know, got time to spend with my uh, grandkids. I've got four. Uh, spend a little more time with my wife than I did when I was coaching and uh, getting to the golf course. Yeah, I'm sure pretty busy schedule in in the NFL. What was it like? Oh, it's uh, it's full go every day. You know, up yeah. at up at five thirty and uh, working through the entire day during the season. Uh, you know, late at night. In two days, more like in the summer, and then during the season, it's like practices once a day. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a whole. If you take through the whole progression. Uh, in the spring, you have many camps, uh, you know, right after the draft. You have uh, what they call OTAs, organized team activities. Uh, you get about 20 practices in the spring. And those are, uh, you know, not as time uh, demanding, but it's, uh, you know, you're going full speed. Yeah, you're not as crunched on time at, at that point. The, yeah. That, that's like summer and that's no pads? Well, that's in... Uh, May and June, yeah, and that's no pads. And then training camp, you know, I hate to sound like an old guy, but back in the day it was two-a-days, five days a week, and then a, then a Saturday practice, you'd be off on Sunday, uh, and that would go for up to six weeks like that. Uh, now they've put real limitations on, and, and you really have a walkthrough in the morning, a practice in the afternoon, um, you know, Training camp is really about four four weeks long. You you go three weeks before your first preseason game. Uh, obviously, this past season it's all been it was all altered because of uh, COVID. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully they'll uh, get back on more of a normal schedule. Yeah, and they're and they're not really doing as much hitting nowadays, right? Well, in practice, it's. Uh, you're really limited to number of the number of days you can be in full pads, so that limits the amount of hitting. Uh, it's still very physical. It's just not uh, like it was 25 years ago. Yeah, that's interesting. So who who regulates that then? The league. You know, the they, league will they, say like you can only have a certain amount of hours in pads. Yeah. And why is that? Just to minimize injuries. Well, they've found obviously through through all the years and all the different studies. Uh, that they've done that they can dramatically cut down on injuries and uh you know they still are putting a good product on the field yeah i was gonna say that that's like the nfl is like one of the most dangerous sports i think compared to like basketball i mean even boxing and ufc it's not i feel like nfl is just a lot more dangerous well it's not i mean it's pretty well regulated uh you know and when you when you consider the 32 teams and there's 60 players on each team, uh, percentage-wise, it's probably one of the safest. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, what, what was like the average career for a running back? I think it was like three or four years or something. Because I mean, all those numbers are, are, are dramatically, uh, you know, you can do anything you want with numbers, but there's yeah. a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that are one or two year guys and then you know that right. changes the numbers for guys that are eight to ten year guys uh you know so it, it is uh you know it's a, it's hard to make it in the nfl and it's hard to sustain a career in the nfl but the elite players tend to last longer yeah i mean someone like lidani and tomlinson was there for a number of years you know whereas um like arian foster i think he retired early just after a few years? Yeah, I think it depends on, you know, your situation, the person, uh, and then the luck in terms of, uh, you know, the injuries you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, because if you have like a knee injury or something like that, you know, that can be detrimental and you could never recover from that. Yeah, and the, the great thing now, uh, and that's why the things we're talking about, uh, restricting the number of uh, physical practices, number of practices you're going to have in pads. But the the biggest thing is the uh, medical side of it is so much better now than it was that uh, guys recover from those type of injuries and, and a lot of times come back stronger than they were. Uh, you know, I coached two players, Terry Allen 
uh, had reconstructive knee surgery on both knees and uh, played better after the injuries. Really? Uh, not played better, but continued his yeah. career and was a was a you know fifteen hundred yard rusher for us in Washington. And then Frank Gore uh, had the same thing, and and uh, he's still going. You know, yeah. and and I coached him. Um, his first big season, I think he had 1,700 yards rushing in 2006, and here we are in 21, and he's still playing. <laughs> That's crazy, huh? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, some of these guys like um, Calvin Johnson, Arian Foster, a few other guys that decide to hang out up early. What do you think is the motive for that decision? Well, it's it, to me, it's completely personal, and and uh, you know, each guy has to do what he wants, but uh, you know. Uh, Calvin Johnson uh, certainly could have continued to play a long time. It wasn't an injury situation, very similar to Barry Sanders years ago. Do you think that that's something that, like, he'll come back? He might come out of retirement? No. I, I mean, if guys that do that usually do it, you know, a year or two after they retire, a yeah. la, uh, Gronkowski, but I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't think you see those guys. But I think he – I mean, he's really young, right? Well, I'm not sure how old he is, but I do know that he's been out quite a while. Yeah. And then, um, well, there's like Brett Favre and some other guys. I feel like he like bounced back and forth for a few years. Yeah, well, I mean, he he didn't ever miss a year. And, and uh, you know, at the end of his career, he, he did want to get back to Minnesota. He went to the Jets for a little while, played in Minnesota, and – uh, you know, almost took Minnesota to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Wow. Do you think that's something that you would do? Come out of retirement and go back to coaching? Well, you know, I, re I was out for, for a year in 2017. Um, went back to Carolina based on, you know, Coach Rivera. It was another chance for me to, to work with my son. <clears throat> you know, we went back there and Scott was a quarterback coach and uh, we spent two years, and and uh, I think that's about it for me. Yeah, that's good because, you know, I feel like a lot of the guys that come back or, you know, feel the need to come back is because they hit, they hit such stardom, like, um, you know, someone like a Brady or, um, uh, you know, maybe even Calvin Johnson. Like, they hit such a peak of um, – personal brand and and such highs of their careers that they don't really know what to do after that uh those guys i think they they find a way to keep pretty busy yeah uh you know i i think uh uh you know it's it's always a transition when you when you change you know when you retire and you move on to another to, to something else but uh uh those guys you're talking about no They'll yeah, be, they'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see, like with them, they have other things going on, maybe sponsorships, um, you know, other activities, charities, things like that. Well, you, you have to, you know, I mean, most of these guys, uh, as they're playing, are preparing for a job after football. So, uh, yeah, they have plenty to do. Yeah. So you were in school at Oregon. And then you got into football through that way? Yeah, I played at Oregon. Um, I was there in the early 70s. I always tell people it was before Nike. Uh, Nike was actually just starting when I was in school. We had a runner, Steve Prefontaine, that was a great American uh, distance runner and uh, was a, a great uh, representative for Nike. And, and, and at the start, and people, I know people used to uh, – want to know how to pronounce it they didn't know is it nick is it nike is it nike yeah. you know uh uh the swoosh what is what is that thing on that shoe uh we actually bill bowerman who developed the shoes uh actually came out to a, a practice of ours in 19 it was 71 or 72 and they had all these experimental waffle bottom football cleats and we we experimented with them put them on for a practice and one of the receivers running a route the shoe ripped out and he put them back all back in this green duffel bag and he said oh you know we'll be back and 
he wasn't lying. You know, he was a, he was an outstanding man and uh, a great track coach. And then obviously very, very uh, instrumental in the development of Nike. So they started as a track shoe? Well, it start, yeah, it was track. And then obviously they wanted to get into the football, which they, which they eventually did. And then it just, we know, we know the rest of it. It's all history. So was that, was Phil Knight in school at that time? He was, uh, he was in school. I think he, he left Oregon, graduated or was in graduate school. Uh, he's got a heck of a book, uh, that, uh, uh, I think a lot of people have enjoyed, but he was in the late sixties, you know, he was there and then, uh, had hooked up with, with coach Bowerman. That's crazy. Oh, so the coach was the coach of Oregon. He was Oregon track oh, coach. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. he designed the shoe. He, well, he was in the development part of wow. everything they did. The, the original, uh, it's called the book is shoe dog. It's really good. Uh, it's, um, I'm have to check that out. Uh, he actually the first shoes they made was on a he did it in his garage on a waffle and that's why the bottoms of them waffle iron and and the wow. bottom of them was uh you know shaped like a waffle for the for the astroturf so wow. i was in oregon and then um i stayed in oregon and coached for a year and then when john robinson got hired at usc uh he had coached my first two years at oregon and I went to USC as a graduate assistant, and then uh, a year later was hired there on their staff. So I, I coached at USC nine years before I went into the NFL. Was that, um, did you get right into like wide receivers coach or? Well, I, that, that was the best thing for me. I had, I got to uh, work in a variety of areas. Uh, at Oregon, I, I was the assistant uh, quarterback coach and then coached on the JV team, and then uh, when I first went to USC as a graduate assistant, you kind of work with whoever uh, needs help. And then I was when I got hired, I was a tight ends and wide receiver coach, and uh, I spent one year coaching the secondary in 1980. Uh, we had Ronnie Lott and Dennis Smith, and no way. Uh, Joe Jeff Fisher was a corner on that team, and Joey Browner. Uh, was one of our DBs. So it was a, obviously a very, very talented group. And then uh, I went back to offense and was the offensive coordinator and coach of quarterbacks. So were you there when OJ was there? OJ was before me. I, I, I was there. Um, my first year was 1976. Uh, we were we actually won the Rose Bowl. We're second in the country. We lost our first wow. game. We were 11 and one. Uh, it was a great football team. A uh, lot of first-round draft picks. Uh, uh, Ricky Bell was a running back. Uh, Charlie White was a, a rookie. Uh, was a freshman. Uh, it, it was a. It was an extremely talented team. Uh, and all those teams, I was fortunate to be at USC. We had a, you know, Marcus Allen played during that period. Uh, he was wow. there in the, in the late '70s, early '80s. Uh, you know, I could I could I could start listening to the players that were there at USC and we would end this <laughs> chat real fast. Yeah. It would go on forever. Um, but it was, uh, it was an exciting time and we, we had great teams. We won a national championship in, in 1978. And, uh, wow. it had a lot of success. My last game there, we, we beat Ohio state in the Rose bowl in 1984. Uh, Ted Toner was the head coach then. And, and that's when I left to join the Rams uh john robinson was the head coach there he had been there two years and oh uh, the same guy that coached you yeah okay and it was a head coach at usc and then yeah. was a head coach at the rams and was a you know very very successful coach in the nfl for a lot of years uh so i went and coached there for six years uh, and then was hired in dallas as the offensive coordinator in 1991. wow that's crazy well it sounded like you were young then I was when pretty you young. USC? I was uh, in my late 20s at USC. Oh, wow. And then uh, uh, when I went to the Rams, I was uh, my early 30s. I think I was 32. I was uh, 38 when I went to Dallas. How, how was that getting called up to the NFL? Uh, coaching NFL, it was great because it's all football. You know, you didn't have to recruit. Um, 
he didn't spend a lot of time in high schools on the road and uh, prospects homes selling the family on uh, on the great things about the school you're working for obviously at that time it was USC uh, NFL was was all football um, and it was something that I thought I fit me very well I had a young family uh, I have three children uh, you did get to spend during the off season more time at home uh, even during the season, when, when you're off, you're off. Uh, you were not seeing high school games, you weren't recruiting. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's challenging to coach at any of those levels, but it just suited me better. Yeah, and, and I mean, lucky enough for you, it was right there in L.A. too. Well, that was, uh, that was fortunate. Uh, I lived in Los Angeles for 16 years. Uh, we actually lived in Huntington Beach. Uh, you know, it was the Los Angeles Rams, but the, our offices were in Fullerton and we played at Anaheim Stadium. So, uh, you know, we were the Anaheim Rams being called the L.A. Rams. But yeah. it was uh, it was really good having a young family. And it was a dramatic change for my wife uh, when we moved to Dallas. And then, you know, I was in Dallas three years. Uh, we won a couple Super Bowls. Uh, and then I went to Washington as a head coach. So uh, we lived in Virginia for seven years and that's really where our two older kids went to high school and that's where they were raised uh our youngest drew who uh works at san diego state is part of uh the marketing for the new stadium uh he uh he he got the opportunity to move around a little bit more you know after we left virginia yeah i'm sure that's that's tough on your family to you know get accustomed to a place and then have to move, especially with kids in school. Yeah, it was it was like I said, we were fortunate that the kids, uh, our two older kids, pretty much went to the same high school, uh, you know, junior high and high school. So that was good for them in Oakton, Virginia. And then, you know, we moved to the Bay Area. We 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 bounced around a little bit a couple of years, but we went to the Bay Area uh, when Drew was going into eighth grade. And he finished high school in Akalani, so he was there through that period. And he has some great friends that he stays in touch with, uh, you know, from his high school days. So that's uh, that's been real good for him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just to name the list that you were naming, I mean, you've seen some crazy talent over the years. Do, do you see a difference between, like, Ronnie Lott, Marcus Allen, and the talent, like, today? Uh, you know... <laughs> The, the greatest players, they transcend all eras. Uh, you, yeah. know, uh, you know, Marcus would be a great player today. Ronnie Lott would still be, you know, one of the more physical DBs. He might be one of the more fine guys the way he played. Uh, you know, he's so so physically – he was such a physical player. Uh, but the – they're, they're the greatest of the great players. They transcend all eras. There's probably more depth and there's more guys, uh, obviously, because of population, more people playing as young players. Uh, so there's more probably talent level th- throughout an entire roster. Yeah. Well, I, I think. Uh, but there are 32 teams and, and there's, you know, 60 players per team. So it does get thinned out a little bit, too. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, it, it became more popular. More people were practicing and getting into football than they were in the older days. Yeah, I, I think uh, th- there are more kids playing. But, uh, you know, when we grew up, I mean, the, the 60s when, when football became such a big deal, I mean, uh, there were a lot of people playing, a lot of kids playing. You know, just obviously – through the years, the population and it's just natural that there's there's more high schools playing. There's more high schools, uh, you know, doing everything. So, right? Did you um, did you want to do offense? Did you want to be offensive coordinator? Uh, yeah, my background was offense. I loved uh, getting to coach a year on defense, but uh, you know, the, the offensively, and you're talking about all the different uh, things you can do and. Uh, and being multiple and and using your players and then uh you know being diversified uh it's yeah it was where where my strength was yeah i feel like offense is really like attacking whereas defense is like 
reacting? And well, reading? the best defenses attack the hell out of you. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's just um, at the NFL level, it's just it's so competitive, and it's uh, on a week to week basis. It's such such a challenge, uh, but you know, you 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 know, you just want to be a complete whatever you are in offense or defense, especially if you just want to be complete. Uh, so you can handle all the different situations that come up. Yeah, I mean, that That brings me to thinking about, you know, individual players, um, you know, maybe like Cam Newton, Adrian Peterson types, uh, Calvin Johnson, you know, Des Bryant, um, you know, being more individuals. And I don't know if if this is how they are, but at least to me and maybe to the fans too is that, they seem like they want to rep their personal brand a lot more than be a part of a unit in a team. Yeah, well, so, well, some of that is just perception yeah. uh, because, you know, the guys you're talking about, Cam Newton's one of the great team players. Uh, I've, I, when I went to uh, Carolina, it was, it was unbelievable the respect the, the rest of the players uh, and the community had for him. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a totally committed player and uh, – the utmost team player. And I think the hard thing for fans uh, is, you know, getting through, you know, all the perceptions and, and not having an opportunity to see the reality of the situation. That's the, that's the beauty of, and I always had great respect for the locker room. And, and I always told our guys, hey, what's, what's, what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. And that's not that's not in terms of a, a negative like like that's not insinuating something negative happens. What it always meant to me was this is a really special place, and there's a lot of people on the outside that would love to have an opportunity to know what's going on in here. Well, you know, you're you're a privileged group. Uh, you've worked hard to to get this opportunity, uh, and it's very very special, and it should be special to us, and stay that way. It's a it's a brotherhood. Pardon me. It's a brotherhood. No question. Yeah. And, and that uh, that uh, part I think sometimes gets missed by the fans. How how did you feel being a head coach versus offensive coordinator? Uh, every job is different. I I you know I I enjoyed being the head coach. Uh, you know I uh, started and I, I I took a tough couple of very difficult jobs, different difficult situations, uh, taking over a team that, you know, won three or four games the year before uh, that's depleted with the roster. You know you're going to have to rebuild. So those were challenging. Obviously, when I got the opportunity to come to San Diego, it was an outstanding team. And, you know, going to the championship game the first year I was here and we had a 13-3 and season, unfortunately lost in the – in the first round of the playoffs. But, uh, you know, we had a lot of success here, and uh, I had an opportunity to, to coach and be around, you know, some some really unbelievable talent and players and, uh, you know, Hall of Fame-type players, LT, but, uh, you know, Antonio Gates, uh, Phillip Rivers, uh, those, you know, those guys are offensive guys, but just the, the entire group, uh, you know, we had a, a great punter that Mike Cypress was a great guy and, and fun to be around. Um, Darren Sproles, uh, just just that whole group uh, of outstanding people. Yeah, really, really good team. I I remember that. I didn't uh, I didn't realize. I guess unless we, uh, until we talked about it now, how really special that team was. So, how long were you there as a, a head coach? I was six years. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. So, you got to see. Did LT retire during that time? LT, uh, his he went to as a free agent. He went to the Jets oh, and, yes. and was there two or three years, then retired. They yeah. weren't able to to make a deal with him at the Chargers. Well, it's uh, that's that's ancient history and a long time ago you know some things happen that you kind of look back and say well you wish it had happened differently uh you know vincent vincent jackson uh you know uh, obviously just we just lost vincent in a, in a tragic deal uh but you know he left as a free agent and, and i think if 
people had a chance to do it over again, we would have kept him. Uh, Darren Sproles left as a free agent. I think people had, if we had to do it over again, we would have kept him. Uh, and those losing those type of players, uh, sometimes it's hard to overcome. Yeah, it's hard, especially when guys fan out like that. Then you know you have to rebuild, and you know it's tough to uh, to fill those guys in. You know, well, you think you're automatically going to replace those guys, and then what happens? Uh, in my experience, is you truly don't appreciate them, and then and then they're gone, and you realize how good they actually were. Yeah, is it um, how gnarly is it? Like strategies and. Um, tactics when you're playing, you know, versus say, uh, you know, any of the teams like the Broncos or even like the playoff matches. Well, every game, uh, you know, we we got to a point we we told our players, you know, it's a 16 game, uh, 16 game season, but it's really 16 one game seasons because every game is so different. And and what you just said, you go from you know, playing uh, playing a Denver, then to Kansas City in your division, uh, then playing the Raiders where they're different style of offenses, defenses, or different personnel. Uh, in your division, you get to know them very well, you know, and then out of your division, you got to be assured, assured of the matchups. That's why you spend so much time, uh, whether you're looking at personnel, whether you're looking at uh, system, you're looking at Defenses' tendencies, offenses' tendencies. Uh, so it's it's uh, challenging to say the least. Yeah, and and with teams like the Broncos, and you're facing them year after year. You know, two games a season. Are you seeing really like the same playbook, but different players? Uh, it's really probably the opposite. You see different. You see the same players. Uh, mm. You know over an extended period of time, you know, with a few changes. Uh, and then depending on the staff, depending on, you know, what they're, how they're evolving, uh, you know, you have to stay on top of any of the changes they're doing that are, you know, from from a terms of strategy. Yeah, I guess they're always adapting and evolving, you know, based on what they see in games and things like that. How many, um, how many plays do you, do you have in a playbook? Oh, it's it's unlimited, <laughs> you know. That's uh, uh, and it's and it's evolving all the time. So, uh, you know, you 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 do something really well, and and you're sitting there watching it, and you say, hey, you know, well, off of this, we could do this. Uh, mm. Off of that, we could do that, and then and then um, you have to just mesh the ideas with. Uh, the players get enough repetition so they can become very good at the things you're doing because it still comes down to your players uh, competing against their players and the guys uh, you know that had the most reps and who are the best uh, in terms of techniques and those things are going to perform the best. Yeah, so cer certain plays would work better with different people yeah and and we always said uh you know with the players we're gonna find uh what you do well and we're gonna let you do it and then we're gonna be creative and find different ways to do those same things and your job as we go through this is to continue to grow and the more things you do well the more opportunities you're going to get to go play yeah are you um so you were in the box most of your career well, as a head coach, I was on the sideline. So half of my – I was a head coach for 15 years in the NFL. Uh, so obviously on the sideline. And then when I was an offensive coordinator, uh, I was upstairs. I think that was uh, where I preferred to be. I know some guys are on the sideline. Uh, and then early as an assistant coach, uh, I was on the sideline on the headset with Ernie Zampezi, who was our offensive coordinator, who's a – legendary coach from the from the early chargers with Fouts and Winslow and all those guys uh and then I worked with him at the Rams so um we had a great working relationship and I would he would relay the play down to me and I I would signal it in uh back then you didn't have the coach to quarterback headset so everything was done with with signals. Is that what it is now that they're able to just talk to the quarterback? You you have a headset. Uh, the quarterbacks' helmets have a headset. Uh, you are you're able to talk to them. That whoever the play caller, and then uh, 
with 15 seconds left on the uh, play clock, that headset cuts off. So you have to get him to play and get him going. So you have about 25 seconds? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. That's interesting. Wow. When did they uh, initiate that? I think the first year was actually the first year I was at coach was in 1994. Oh, wow. So it's been quite a while. Wow. I feel like they I feel like it was a little bit more recent than that maybe maybe because they added the green dot. Well, they did the, they did this uh, with the quarterbacks for a long time and then it only made sense and then I don't know why it took so long to do and I couldn't tell you exactly the year uh, it, ha- it the change but it was probably 10 years ago or so that they added it to the defense where the uh, you know, you could get you could designate a player on defense to where the headset. You know, most teams did with their middle linebacker, the the play caller, mm-hmm. and that's when they initiated the green. Before call. they were just doing signals. It was yeah. That's interesting that they first initiated it to the offense. Well, that that was the thing that uh, to expedite the game, speed it up, and, and then. Uh, you know, everyone's paranoid about people stealing signals and all that. Yeah. And so I think it was the initial deal was uh, with ex- with expenses uh, in mind. Well, let's just do it with the quarterback on offense uh, and see if we like the system. And then it, it took longer than it should have, but then it evolved to the defense. Can't you um, uh, talk to the quarterback? Can they respond to you or no? No, no. You can just you just say the play. You can talk to him. Yeah, that's why you'll see the quarterbacks waving their hands to give it to me again, or or turning like that to look at the and you, and the coach. Are you talking to them like, hey, that was a great play? You know, you had this guy open, or are you just strictly saying the play? Well, yeah, you, you you call the play. The biggest thing is it's. It's you're moving on to the next play. You can't spend a lot of time worrying about what just happened. Yeah. You're moving on to the next play. And then, uh, you know, you can give indicators like, hey, we're looking for cover two here or, you know, this is a big, big blitz down and then you call the play, that type of thing. But That's you, cool. you don't want to give them too much information because uh, you want to be, uh, you know, the, you, that's why you spend all the time Monday through Saturday preparing them uh you know, I think one of the one of the problems uh, some coaches have uh, that that will get to a player, get to a quarterback, particularly, is they try to give them too much information and uh, overcoach that thing a little bit. And and sometimes, you know, you you got to trust the weak preparation that you've given them, and then they've got to be able to go play. Exactly. And and that's something that we know in golf. You don't want to overthink it. You know, you don't want to get on your head and <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh the the line I I always use now because I was playing with Chris Riley, the uh great PGA golfer and who's now the head coach at University of San Diego, the golf coach. He said, Quit thinking and start swinging and that's yeah. uh you know, that's a big big part of playing uh, if you're if you're bogged down with worrying about am I going to step here or am I supposed to do this or if you're not if you don't have enough repetition doing this, um, you know you can you it can slow you down. Yeah, I mean that's why we see people choke and you know pressure situations because they it gets in their head. Well, I'm not sure. I I don't like the word choke. Uh, you know that's that to me that's a fan's expression. <laughs> you know, a guy misses a putt, yeah. and, and uh, someone's going to say, "Well, he choked." Well, then they then they break down the, the putt. Uh, you know, outside of ten feet, it's you know they have, it's twenty eight percent of the time yeah. it's made. That means to me, you know, that means seventy percent of the time. It's missed. Right. So if a guy happens to miss it in a critical situation, you know the percentage has got him. And uh, you know I appreciate how hard it is to make those putts. Uh, and I appreciate how good these players are. But uh, you know a guy misses a three footer. I I could say, well, you know, he might, something might have gotten his head. But you know it's, it's 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 all relative to what he's being asked to do. Yeah, that's the. Um What's the cool thing about football is that 
you know, there's a lot of different moving parts. It's not, you know, just based on that one putting stroke. It's, you know, the whole team, the offensive lineman making a block. And it's a, it's an ultimate team game. And, uh, you know, a lot of people obviously put put uh, a lot of people uh, get get more credit when it's when it's going good and get uh, more blame when it's going bad. But, uh, you know, you're you got 11 guys on the field and you're dependent on each other and and the, co- the you're dependent on having good coaching and coaching is dependent on having good players. And then, you know, unfortunately, a lot of games come down to in, in the NFL, they come down because there's there's so many one point games that come down to kickers and. Uh, you know, kickers now we're talking about that's more along the lines of golf. Uh, uh, you know, those those kicks can get real difficult in, in real pressure situations. And, you know, the, the one thing people I don't think could take account of, take account for as much is when you get into those December, January games, uh, the weather is such a factor in kicking. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's such a tough part of the game because there's – you know, like the fans and people will put a lot of blame on the kicker, but you know, maybe if the offense pushed it one yard further, he might have made the field goal. Or you know, there's so many different factors than to put the blame on the kicker. Yeah, well, there's a lot of factors, and uh, you know, uh, kickers get a lot of uh, praise and they get a lot of uh, negative, you know, criticism uh, based on their performance. Yeah, it's just something that just comes with the job. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, uh, I mean, head coaches too. You know, head, it, a lot of blame goes on head coaches too. Well, yeah, that's that's the, what I was saying. You know, the, there are certain certain areas that, uh, you know, they get the attention and and coaching the head coach and and uh, in some cases the staff. Uh, you know, obviously quarterbacks. Uh, you look at guys that are in a, the real game changing positions. Uh, cornerbacks uh, because you know they're exposed they're out there one-on-one all the time Uh, kickers so there's a you know there's a lot of uh, offensive linemen in terms of protection and those type things so there's enough to go around there's like 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 coach Jimmy Johnson always said uh, you know when you do well everyone's there's going to be a lot of credit and and a lot of Everyone's going to have a lot of opportunities to have success. And when you're struggling, uh, you know, there's a lot of blame that can be spread around too. Yeah. How um, have you seen like the, the business standpoint of the game change over the years? It's always been a business and, and uh, you know, people, uh, it's professional football and people want to get paid and, and it starts, you know, uh, everyone always directly goes to the players, but it starts with coaches, head coach, uh, assistant coaches, uh, your support people, you know, everyone uh, ultimately, you know, wants to take care of their own deal. And then uh, as we know, uh, it's been become a big part with players, but it's always been uh, something that's been big in terms of guys wanting to get their, their fair share. Uh, it's just the money is so much greater now uh, it's, everything's been magnified. Is that just because the NFL's grown over the years? Oh, no question. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you look at what they've done, uh, the stadiums, the price to go to games, uh, the TV revenue, it's incredible what the NFL has done. Yeah, and, and a lot of people will say that, oh, they're overpaid, this coach is overpaid, this, this and that, um, about being overpaid, but... You know, I look at it like, well, they're bringing in that value. That's the amount of value that they're bringing in. No question. You know? uh, that's where the you know the the sport has grown so much. Each team makes so much money. Uh, obviously, in the collective bargaining, the the players have done a great job of negotiating to where uh, you know the salaries are are continue to grow. And uh, you know, if if a team's making that kind of money, obviously the, the uh, the players, the coaches, they're a big part of that, and they should be paid. Yeah. What about um, what are your thoughts on college players being paid? Do you think college players should be paid? I don't really have a strong enough opinion. I just think there's uh, there's reasons you would, and there's reasons you wouldn't. Uh, as 
Charles Barkley said, the guy's getting a four-year education. He's got a chance to go get a degree. Um, you know, I've been to some of these colleges and uh, the, you know, when we go to work out guys and the facilities, uh, uh, the level, the, the, the quality of the food, everything they're doing, the training, uh, the, the health part of it is so much, it's, it's grown so much, uh, you know, from obviously when I was in, co in, in college 40 years ago. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, so I, I don't have a strong enough opinion e either way on that. Uh, I know what the arguments are on both sides, uh, you know, but I think, uh, you know, guys who go to college and they, ha they get a heck of an opportunity. Uh, I was fortunate to get a scholarship. Uh, you know, you're able to get a degree. You're able to use that time to decide what you want to do with your life. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a great, you know, there's some great opportunities because you get a scholarship to go to school. Yeah, and I think that that's something, um, you know, it's like if they were to get paid in college, what motivation would they have to go to the NFL then? Well, I don't think the amount that people are talking about uh, that players would get in college would uh, be enough to yeah. <laughs> limit someone in terms of thinking of of going uh, and making a career in, in any other, you know, yeah, because at that point, at that point, they would basically change it from being college. It wouldn't really be college. It would be like a junior NFL. Well, you know, yeah, if they started playing the players. Yeah, but you're still, you know, there's still the education part that uh, is a big part of uh, being a, you know, player in the NCAA. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll see one day they they pay the players or something. I don't know. Well, there's, you know, obviously it's, it's, if it, if it were to happen, it's going to be on a limited basis and it's going to just, you know, uh, you hear these stories of, of guys that struggle from a financial standpoint when they're in college. Uh, as, like I said, if I had more data on it and uh, was more involved, then, then you could make a case either way for doing it. But it, it certain wouldn't, certainly wouldn't be enough money. Uh, for someone to, you know, sustain well, wasn't, himself. Wasn't there something going on with Reggie Bush? Oh, I don't. That, that's old history. I I'm, I wasn't involved or un, yeah. understood what the stuff was. There's there's been a million stories of players in a lot of different schools uh, being supported by alumni, being supported, and every once in a while you see a school uh -huh. go on probation because of that. So yeah. that's just uh, you know that's something that we know. So what in in like the the seventies and eighties where when you were coaching, what were the pads like? Like shoulder pads and helmets? Was it a lot? Uh, well, they've streamlined them and made them lighter, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't dramatically different. I'm just thinking of it as because uh, I don't know when did they do the the leather helmets? When was that? <laughs> Long before I was born. <laughs> You're talking to the wrong guy. Because <laughs> um, I'm just thinking in terms of like injuries, you know, and, and head trauma. Have you seen a concussion? Have you seen that movie? Uh, I have not seen that movie, but uh, but uh, I know this: the the what what the league has done from a standpoint of equipment and they're continuing to improve the helmets uh every year and then what they've done with legislating the rules and in, in terms of i know some fans think it's too soft and they've taken away some of the big hits uh like i said ronnie lott you know would completely have to play change the way he played uh but it has been good for the safety and and it's going to let the game continue to flourish and continue to grow uh uh, you know, because they had to react to the, the head injuries, and I think they've uh, been very proactive that way. Yeah, I think that's something that's uh, very exciting. You know, the big hits are very exciting, but, you know, if if you're on the end of that, you're not going to want to get hit like Yeah, it's that. just they've done a lot of scientific uh, research, and, and they've, they've actually found out which, which hits uh, – uh, are the most dangerous, which ones cause the most concussions, the, the hits to the side, the temple. Uh, that's why the helmet-to-helmet -helmet rule is so critical. 
because they've been able to take uh, make make the game a lot safer. Yeah, I feel like there was a time. I mean, even when I would play, it would be like you know the thing would be to to spear and and lead with your head, you know, and and you know, like you said, with with taking out helmet to helmet, I think that that cures a lot of that problem. Well, one of the things, uh, and this is something John Madden made a strong point of. Um, I was in a couple of the uh, committees that were doing research when I was a head coach, and uh, you know, one of his theories was that they made the helmet so good that guys were comfortable hitting with their heads. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and that's something that evolved, uh, you know, through the '70s and '80s. Wow. Yeah, they were even doing that then. Like, would Ronnie Lott lead with his head? Yeah, he was he was pretty well known for that. Yeah, that's pretty dangerous. So, so you don't see as as much of that now. And in, in well, as you know, they've outlawed it. I mean, uh, the helmet to helmet hit, uh, particularly on an unprotected player, um, you know. And and I think you've seen over the years, the last four or five years, uh, the players have adjusted, you know, to that, and it's helped make it more safe. Yeah, and I feel like I've seen some of those, and I mean, these guys are huge. I mean, the players that we're talking about, I mean, you've seen them up close. I mean, in the weight room and stuff, these guys are massive. Yeah, it's uh, they're big men. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they're hitting guys, maybe like a Cole Beasley or something, you know, like Wes Walker, like these smaller guys, you know, and it's like, you know, you can't be doing helmet to helmet. No. That, that'll be... Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and that's the good thing about guys, you know, everyone has their own their own way of playing. And I think guys that are that are smaller guys have learned how to protect themselves. Uh, the better the athlete you are, the, the more you're able to uh, maneuver and, and avoid those type plays. And then more, more importantly, I think the, the rules have they've, they've legislated have uh, found a way to, to protect the players. So, um, are you at all involved in the game anymore? Uh, I'm, uh, you know, my son Scott is the offensive coordinator at, at the Washington football team, formerly known as the Redskins. Uh, you know, Ron Rivera is the head coach, and obviously Ron worked for me and in San Diego as a defensive coordinator, and then I went to Carolina uh, to work for him with Scott. So, when he got the Washington job, he heard Scott as offensive coordinator. Uh, they had an amazing year last year. Uh, first of all, handling the whole COVID situation, uh, and then struggling through the the playing three different quarterbacks, and and uh, you know they were blessed to be in a division that was that was wide open and end up winning the NFC East, and uh, you know had a great game and they lost to Tampa in the playoffs, which every other team did too, but. Uh, you know, they, they actually offensively had the best game against them uh, of any team they played in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, a great story with Taylor Heineke uh, going in and playing quarterback for him and playing at a really high level. That's his first start of the year. Taylor's a guy we, we coached in Minnesota and in Carolina. So Scott knew him real well. He knew the offense pretty good. Uh so I follow them real close and, and uh, spend a lot of time with Scott. Um, you know, I've done a little bit of stuff with, with some young quarterbacks and probably will uh, continue to do that or look to do that in the future. Young quarterbacks like high schoolers? Well, high school guys, uh, college guys, uh, pre-draft guys, that type of thing. And uh, are you coaching them just – Strictly on quarterbacking, or yeah, I mean that's it, it, a lot of it's preparing a guy to to learn how to play. I think a lot of these guys spend a lot of time working on a guy with his fundamentals, his footwork, uh, throwing technique, uh, you know, repetitions throwing. I, I tend to think more in terms of teaching young players how to play quarterback. Uh, you know, it's it's like to me, it's like. Uh, a golfer at the driving range, uh, you can hit the ball, and it's amazing at the driving range how good you feel about hitting the ball and, and hitting all your different clubs and variety. And and then you get on the course, and you know you have to manage a game. Uh, there's great decision making in golf. Uh, 
that, you know, which club am I going to use here? What, what's the lie? Uh, you know, how far is it? The wind, the grain, where do I want to land it? What, you know, all the different things that go through your mind on every single swing. And that's why the pros, you have so much great respect for them. Uh, you know, the best golfers are the best decision makers. Uh, because they all hit the ball incredibly well. Well, it, now you go to a quarterback and, you know, all these guys can throw the ball. Uh, you know, if you, if you lined up 30 or 50 of the NFL quarterbacks, you, you're not going to see a dramatic difference. Uh, and even in the draft, all these guys, the, the guy that's taken in the seventh round compared to the guy in the first round, they can all throw the ball. So now let's, let's get into what makes a guy – a good player compared to a guy who's just an average player or maybe below average player. And in my mind, most of it comes down to the quarterback's ability to be a decision maker and then understand how to play the game. Just like a, a golfer, uh, you know, you know, I've had, you just think of the, the greatest players and they, they just know uh, how to play the decisions to make, uh, when to lay up, uh, when to, you know, hit it over the water when not to all those different things. Well, same thing with a quarterback. Uh, you know, there's so many decisions he has to make on every play. And, and the, the best quarterbacks, the great quarterbacks are always, to, in my mind, the best decision makers and the guys who make good decisions on, on a consistent basis. Yeah, it's so crazy how, how mental the game is. You know, because you can have someone like a Tom Brady who's more of a pocket passer or someone like a Cam Newton who can run too. And, you know, just those decisions of uh, who to pass it to, which trajectory to throw the ball at, um, you know, stepping out of the pocket. or Yeah, and, and, and a lot of it's feel, a lot of it's experience. So I always uh, tell you, the, the, for the quarterbacks, there's really uh, – uh, uh, you know, three big things, uh, you know, uh, uh, when to throw the ball, how to throw it, and where to throw it, because there's dead areas on the field that are that are better than others. And, uh, you know, that's something that comes from playing, but it's something you develop in, co in coaching and you develop in practice, because uh, every ball isn't, every ball in, in, as a quarterback is not thrown hard. Uh, in fact, some of the best throws are touch throws or feel throws. And, uh, you know, I think uh, in coaching a quarterback, getting him to understand that, uh, you know, some guys do it very naturally. Some guys, it takes them a while to, to grasp that concept. And is that something that you've talked about with these quarterbacks over time, you know, with being so close to them? No question. That's part of coaching them and that's part of uh, drilling them and that's part of understanding. Uh, you know, we've kind of passed it down. Uh, that's why, you know, when, when my son, when Scott was a quarterback coach, uh, you know, we just kept developing different drills and he did a great job of getting these guys to understand that, you know, part of playing quarterback is throwing over, over people, around people, in front of people, uh, and then beating the rush. Uh, you know, some guys, it's it's crazy. Some guys never get a ball batted down. You know, they just know how to throw around the rush. To it. And some guys get four batted down a game. Uh, and that's just a matter of feel and, and vision and, as I said, uh, repetition and understanding that how you have to play to be a quarterback. Yeah, and it's also like you said those decision makings to if you're if your uh, wide receiver is running a fade on the left side, you know, throw it to his outside shoulder so that you know only he can get it. Well, there's just the, you know every play comes up different, and being able to be flexible enough to feel that, and sometimes sometimes you want back shoulder, sometimes you want to throw it over the top, sometimes you want to throw it outside, sometimes it's better inside where the receiver can. Uh, get around the DB. So there's just, uh, you know, and that's the, that's why you practice and that's the repetition. And then, you know, with, with video now, you have so, such a great opportunity to give them different looks on tape and, and 
communicate, okay, here's why this ball was thrown here. Here's why it was thrown here uh, against this defense. This is the dead area. This is where uh, you're most likely to get an easy completion. Uh, just knowing those things and then making sure, you know, that it's something they draw on when they start playing. I, I got to imagine that film is a big part of uh, your guys' practice and, and throughout the week. Yeah, we, we video everything from all different angles, uh, you know, and then spend a lot of time with the players uh, watching it. And then at the end of the week, you'll take the, the tape and uh, it's all obviously uh, uh, video now. You take the tape and you'll, you'll, you'll put it together, uh, teaching reels that you use on Friday and Saturday before the game, teaching reels of things you did in practice, teaching reel of game tape, putting the whole thing together, uh, something that they can use to prepare, um, you know, whether it's Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, uh, you know, guys want to look at that stuff and there's, there's great teaching uh, tools and great reminders. How much is um, studying the playbook? How much is that of like the week or is that more so like summer? No, it's, it's every, every, like I said, uh, it's got to the point where you treat it like it's 16 one game season. And so every game there's, there's adjustments to the playbook. So the guys got to put the time in. All players have to put the time in. Uh, you know, offensive linemen, you're playing a de different defensive front. Uh, it changes your protection rules. It changes your run rules. Uh, so, you know, those guys, uh, you know, I talk about the quarterback decision-making, but the offensive line, all of a sudden, the defense lines up in a different look. There's a lot of communication that takes place. Uh, there's a lot of decision-making that takes place. And you just uh, – you can't be a guy that's that's got the mindset, oh, okay, I'm, all, I'm always blocking this guy because that's not the way it works. Uh, you know, depending on the, the scheme you're playing uh, – who you're playing against, those those rules, they get changed. And uh, that's, that's uh, you know, the, the part during the week that the players have to understand. And we do a lot of walkthroughs uh, where you present a lot of different looks. Uh, you, you practice and you try to give them a lot of different looks. Uh, you use the video, uh, use, use the playbook, the drawings. Uh, everything's on iPad now, so it's very easy for the players to – scroll through and look at the different uh, drawings you have. So uh, that's the thing. I think that the college players coming in the NFL, they learn from the veterans uh, that the preparation is so much different uh, because the variety of things you see is so much greater. Why, why do you think that that preparation is, is so different because of um, maybe like the coaches that are implementing these things? Or? It's, it's just, uh, like I said, it's all football. I mean, it's it's in in uh, college. You know, you you look at it, and and uh, I just don't think that they have they have enough time. Uh, you know, to be exposed to as many things as they are now. In well, it's like you said too. They're in college. They're going to school. They're you know having a social life with friends and things like that. Yeah. Wow. Well. Um, well, what do you see yourself doing now? Well, you know, <laughs> I coached for 40 years and uh, uh, my uh, one of the guy, one of the owners I worked for, Wayne Heisinga, uh, said always he 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 always said QTL. He's passed away now, but uh, quality time left. And, uh, you know, it's something you, when you start getting into your late 60s, 70 years old, whatever, I'm 68. Uh, you know there is there's things you want to do, uh, but you got you have to be aware that you know quality time left is part of it. So you know uh, Nancy and I, uh, you know we're enjoying living in Del Mar. Uh, we we've already done a little bit of traveling. Uh, you know we want to enjoy our kids, enjoy our grandkids. Uh, you know, uh, and then if I can, you know I'm I'm lucky to have Scott. At Washington, so I can be involved, and if I can help in some way, you know, I'll do what I can. That's awesome that that he's there, and you know, you can still be a part of it. It's great. Mm -hmm. uh, there's two things, uh, you know. Uh, obviously, Scott being in Washington, but it's been really good. Uh, Drew being involved, 
my youngest son being involved with San Diego State, being involved with the marketing of the stadium. Uh, Nancy and I bought four load seats for the new stadium. Uh, we're excited about it. Uh, I'm I'm good friends with Brady Hoke, so I've uh, been to their practices and uh, you know got to know their coaches and uh, you know anxious to see how they progress because they have an outstanding program at San Diego State. Would you say you're more close to San Diego State than you are with your alumni at uh, Oregon? Well, I've just had more interaction with them, and I, I know the people here at San Diego State. Uh, you know, you lose touch. It's been a long time. I left Oregon in 1975. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big Oregon fan and, and you support the program, support the school. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, this, is, this is very comfortable for me here, you know, being involved at San Diego State. And just as a fan is what I'm involved. Well, what would you say you've seen, um, like your biggest lessons or biggest takeaways from coaching at the highest level? Uh, you know, it's, it's the, the, the number one thing I say in any profession. It's all about people. It's all about relationships, uh, uh, you know, and then the communication that's involved in all that. Uh, you know, people, I think some people, when they first get in the NFL, they're in awe and, and, Oh my gosh, this is Philip Rivers, or this is Antonio Gates, or this is Martin Floyd, or Sean Merriman, or whatever. But they're young guys uh, that want to get better, and, and good coaches uh, show players how to get better, and uh, they respond to it. So, you know, uh, one of the things that's lost, and I think that, pe that people don't understand, even people that cover the game that uh, when these guys come in, they're not finished football players. A few are, uh, but those are the exception. Uh, you know, we had uh, uh, Curtis Samuel, uh, when I got to Carolina, he was starting his second year, but he had broken his foot, uh, his ankle, dislocated his ankle, his rookie year. Uh, the first part of training camp, he had a a heart issue where they actually had to go in and and go up through through his growing and you know do a procedure and he missed six weeks you know and then obviously from the outside world people are when he when he when you start playing games why isn't he playing why aren't you using him more well you know we had him in a strict pitch count uh people don't understand that his conditioning wasn't good uh he hadn't had a chance he hadn't been on the field for six weeks uh he developed as a player but you know you teach you, you're teaching a guy how to execute a position how to work at a at a different level than he was used to in college and then how to compete against the best of the best uh so those those types of stories i take uh a lot of pride in and in being involved in the development of whether it's a michael irvin and emmett smith uh, everyone assumes these guys were just automatic, you know, ready to go the day you got there. Troy Aikman, uh, you know, we had we had guys in Washington, Brad Johnson. We had, I said, uh, Terry Allen. Uh, you know, we had we had uh, being a part of watching a guy grow and develop. Uh, you know, it's it's big part of what the the league is about or what coaching is about. How does it feel now that, you know, your your coaching career is over? Uh, it's, you know, I'm, uh, I, I enjoy it every day. I coached, uh, you know, I, I dreamed of doing it when I was a kid. Uh, you know, there's days uh, that are real struggles. Uh, you know, you go through stretches in a season that are very, very challenging. Uh, but it's no different than any other line of work. Every day, you know, isn't easy. Uh, and... Uh, you know, it's a it's the lesson I would try to give to young coaches and to young players that you know it's a, this is a, it's a challenging uh, uh, it's a very very challenging line of work and uh, you know it's a very very rewarding. So you wanted to, you knew you wanted to get in this when you were young. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I mean, if I was 
if I was more talented and could have continued and played, I, I would have done that. I had a couple of knee surgeries, uh, you know, that limited me. Uh, so, you know, when it was obvious I wasn't going to continue playing, my the, the opportunity I had was to stay in coaching. And I was lucky because throughout, whether it was as a young kid with Little League and, and the basketball and junior high, and then I had great high school coaches that were role models for me. And then I had, uh, when I went to Oregon, there was a, there was a great group of coaches there. And, uh, you know, they become role models for you and you, you understand and you say, hey, I, I want to continue to stay involved in this game. And uh, I was lucky to have the opportunity to do it. That's awesome. Well, um, congratulations on all your success. And I appreciate you coming here and doing this. I was, it was good. It's, it's fun to rehash the thing a little bit. And maybe I educated you a little bit. Definitely. And maybe some of, the, some of your fans that uh, log on to this and are able to see it. Uh, yeah. I, I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. All right.